Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. Coming at the end of tonight's show, Bison football team make a huge announcement today. We're going to tell you all about that coming up at the end of tonight's show, so stick around for that. Also, big news here. Could the Native American vote end up determining, determining the next president of the United States in the 2020 election? More on that in just a moment. I want to start tonight, though, with the story that really gripped our community and our nation. It was exactly two years ago today that Savannah LaFontaine Graywin went missing. We all obviously know the horrid details of that situation and murder that took place. And by the grace of God, her daughter, Hazley Joe, apparently doing really, really well. She's about to celebrate her second birthday coming up in just two days. So want to start there, ask you to continue to put that family in your thoughts and prayers. Um, you may remember after this horrific event, Senator Heidi Heitkamp put together what's called Savannah's Act. It was really to help with the missing and murdered indigenous women uh, throughout Native American communities. I want to share with you tonight why this is so important. There was a, a presidential candidate form we're going to get to in a moment, but wait to hear these stats. According to the Department of Justice, Native American women are actually 10 times, 10 times more likely to be murdered than uh, others are the national average. And this one actually st just stunned me. Homicide. Homicide is the third leading cause of death for Native American women ages 10 to 24. So the obvious hope here with Savannah's Act is it's going to end up providing more data to law enforcement, really help ensure that our indigenous sisters don't go missing and suffer such an incredibly high rate of homicide. Senator Hovind is the chairman of the Senate Indian Affairs Committee. So I reached out to him earlier today to get his comment and, hey, where Savannah's act at? What are we going to do to get this thing passed? Here's what he had to say. He says, hey, it's critical that we improve public safety for Native Americans both on and off the reservation. Savannah's act is an important step in that process. And as chairman of the Senate Indian Affairs Committee, I continue working with the bill's primary sponsor, Senator Lisa Murkowski, to move the bill through committee and ensure it will pass through both the Senate and the House. Also today, the first ever, and more on this in a moment, but the first ever, I don't know how it would be in the first ever, Amer Native American presidential candidate forum took place in Sioux City, Iowa. Several candidates were there. All candidates were invited to participate. It's today and tomorrow if you want to watch it online. But Senator Elizabeth Warren was there, Senator Amy Klobuchar, a few others. And Senator Warren, um, someone asked the question about murdered and, and, and missing indigenous women. So Boom, she went right there and said, hey, two years ago today was the day that Savannah went missing. She also said this about the situation with Savannah. Over and over, I'm struck by women who go missing and it doesn't make a headline for a week, for a month. Women who are murdered, Native women. And it never makes a headline. A problem that is not seen is a problem that is not fixed. So I think of this in two ways. One is the importance of the federal government getting serious about collecting data and making those data publicly available. People need to know the scope of this problem. So good for Senator Warren that she brought that up right away. She also did start her talk today essentially apologizing. We all know the situation with Senator Warren and the things that she met up about being uh, having more Native American blood, let's just say, than she has. For me, here's what's stunning. Okay, these are our first Americans. This was the first ever, first ever Native American presidential form. I asked myself, how in the world can that be so, knowing some of the challenges that our Native Americans have faced for decades now, you could maybe even say centuries, 
But then here's why it's happening now and why it's starting to get some prominence. And I hate to sound like this guy, but at the end of the day, unfortunately, and we've seen this happen so often with our Native American brothers and sisters, it's about power and more specifically about presidential power. And here's why I say that. There are essentially six states coming up in 2020 where the Native American vote could actually determine, decide the next president of the United States. You can see here, you got Minnesota. And listen closely to these states, folks. These are all states that were super close in 2016. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, North Carolina, Nevada, and Arizona. What the data shows is that by how much President Trump won those states, if enough Native American voters get out in each of those states, they could actually flip flip the 2020 presidential election. So you're going to see more and more Native, I think, people go out and uh, have these kind of forums, speak to Native Americans. And I want to play for you two quick clips here before we bring in our next guest. But So this person was there speaking with Senator Warren today, and we talk a lot about, at least the Democrats do in 2020, about reparations. So this Native American leader he sort of reframed the conversation, but I want to listen listen to closely to how he frames his question to Senator Warren, and then I'd love to know your point of view on what he had to say. Mrs. Warren, you have spoken passionately about the issues of reparations and how it is a moral imperative. However, to date, none of the 2020 candidates have raised the issue of reconstruction for Indian country. The United States commits billions of dollars to reconstruction in countries it has waged war upon. The last being Afghanistan and Iraq. In respect to military conflict, the United States was engaged with the Great Sioux Nation for 36 years, twice as long as the current conflict in Afghanistan. That is but one example of many. The economies and vital infrastructure of tribal nations subject to war with the U.S. were either destroyed or devastated. And yet not one dollar has been invested in reconstruction of these tribal nations by the U.S. As president, would you commit to a reconstruction program to rebuild Indian country and redress a historical wrong? Folks, I think he just presented a fascinating way to look at reinvestment in America. I don't like the word reparations, and yet clearly we're not spending the amount of money we are in Afghanistan and Iraq that we, I would say, could be investing in Native American country. And so what I hear there is what President Trump says, why aren't we putting America first? These are our first Americans. Let's invest in them. I don't know if it's true that we haven't invested anything in Native American country, and yet clearly not the trillions of dollars that we have over in the Middle East. So I think it's a very interesting way, perspective to look at it. And I bring that up because I don't know if you remember when President Trump was in Fargo for a fundraiser uh, in 2018. You may remember back in 2016, you'd always say to the black American voters, hey, you've been voting Democrat for decades. Look where it's got you. What in the H-E double hockey sticks do you have to lose? Vote for me, vote GOP. And then he said this in 2018. And I just said, what do you have to lose? Vote for me. What the hell do you have to lose? Do you remember that? <laughs> and I say with respect to the Native Americans that I go right back to where I was two years ago when I was campaigning. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? 
Folks, I hope that the Native American, our brothers and sisters, will consider that because if you look at suicide rates, uh, alcoholism, we just talked about homicide rates. I mean, the numbers are abysmal, and we all know Native Americans have been voting Democrat for decades and decades and decades. So I would say, again, what in the H-E double hockey sticks do you have to lose? Give it a shot. Also, Senator Warren did double down on saying she would revoke the DAPL permits, the Keystone XL pipeline permits. I've got that up on our Facebook page, so please check that out. I want to move on to something else here as well that's very important to our community, and that is obviously ag. We just found out over the weekend that President Trump did grant some uh, small oil refinery waivers. They wouldn't have to produce as much ethanol as maybe previously required. So some of these Senate leaders are... Not so happy about that. And I want to share with you quickly what Senator Chuck Grassley said out of Iowa. He said this, and I'm quoting him. These aren't my words. These are his. If we can bring the graphic up. Hey, they screwed us talking about the Trump admin when they issued 31 waivers compared to less than 10 waivers during all the Obama years. What's really bad isn't a waiver. It's that it's been granted to people who aren't in hardship. Then the other Iowa senator, Senator Joni Ernst, said this. Mr. President should have done more so what i'm hearing from our farmers is extreme disappointment and and i'm disappointed because there is a promise that needs to be kept for our farmers and we're seeing tough times so we've got to figure out a way forward so we'll be taking that message to the president we all know that our farmers are facing some challenging times so who better to talk about this than the chairman of the national corn growers association Kevin Skunas, he joins us live tonight in studio. Sir, always great to have you here. Thank you for the time. Good to be here, Chris. So, obviously, most importantly, what are you hearing from your people and the Corn Grow Association about the fact that they granted these 31 waivers? Well, certainly, Chris, we're very disappointed that they have granted these waivers, uh, the small refinery exemptions. It, uh, it equals about 1.43 billion gallons of ethanol that comes right off the top of the uh, renewable fuel standard, 15 billion gallons. So all of a sudden we're back to 13.6 billion gallons that the uh, fuel supply has to blend in. Uh, we, we know that uh, earlier in the year for the June uh, driving season through September 15th, uh, the EPA did grant and the president signed that we could uh, sell E15 year round, which was a small win for us. But this granting these 31 waivers, and that makes I think 84 waivers over the last four years, which is over 4.5 billion gallons of ethanol that have been waived in the last four years, or three years, is really, uh, really detrimental to the ethanol industry. Some people at home are going to say, let the markets do what the markets do. I mean, you said, you know, we typically produce 15 billion, this is 1.4, it's about 1%. What's the big deal? You say what? Well, it, it's sending the wrong signal to our ethanol industry and, and the fuel industry. We need more, uh, we need more investment in our ethanol industry, not less. And this is telling people that the ethanol isn't viable, is, is getting less viable every day that we grant these waivers and less gallons are blended. But I think that's what I'm asking is I think simply at home, hey, I, why do you need a government program to mandate something? Let the markets do what they do. If the product's that great, the market's gonna wanna buy it. Well, I, I guess what I'll say to that is we have the RFS, which is a law right now, and that's what we're trying to stand by. So th they, they felt, and, and it was, the RFS, Renewable Fuel Standard, was actually started as the Clean Air Act. We know that uh, ethanol made from corn, it can be made from anything, anything that has starch or sugar in it, you can make ethanol out of it. We do a pretty good job making it out of corn. We know how to grow corn, uh, store it, transport it, make ethanol out of it. So they, they started as Clean Air Act, and that's, what, and that's what we strive to do. Ethanol, we believe, 
is the low cost, very cleanest way to add octane and an oxygenator to our gasoline supply. So there's a report in Reuters that President Trump said, hey, let's just get this thing off my desk, let's get it handled. He called the EPA, said, go ahead and grant these waivers. Some would say the oil lobby beat out over you know, the, the corn lobby. If President Trump were to see this interview tonight, what would you say to him? I'd say, Mr. President, you, you told us that you were going to stand behind us on this. Yes, we did get the 15% year round. Like I said, that's a small win for us. But this is a big loss for us, this uh, 1.43 billion gallons this year. It just sends the wrong message, and we don't believe that these small refineries were, were having to prove any financial hardship. Just like Senator Grassley said, we don't believe that, that facts were there. And I guess, you know, the reason I want to have you on is that it, we all know times are tough right now in the A Committee, and then you, you get this news, and I think that's what I want to get at. Is what, what was the reaction when they thought, man, we're hanging with you, President Trump, on these trade deals, and then to get this, people said what? Well, I think people said that the, the egg economy is in a very tenuous situation right now. The, the economy isn't good. Uh, you know, we've had weather issues all across the U.S. Uh, the USDA came out with a crop report last week, said it was a little better than they thought, more acres planted a little better, so the, the markets went down. We lost about 50 cents on the Chicago Board of Trade last week. We work at a minus basis here in North Dakota, so that's really, really puts it, us in a hard hardship. But we're going forward. We we need a new we need a win. Our livestock industry is our oldest and best customer. That takes quite a bit of our corn. Ethanol is is the second uh, second part of our corn. We grind about 26 to 28 percent of our corn every year for ethanol. We need to have more because we're growing more corn every year. We're doing a better job. Right. We're growing more corn on less acres. Two more quick questions, and you just brought up livestock, and so that's my question. Is there any part of you thinks maybe President Trump sits back and says, "Okay, I know what's happening here with the corn business. You got livestock, you got ethanol, and." Who else are you guys going to vote for? I mean, the other side wants to get rid of livestock. The other side wants to get rid of fossil fuels. Is there any of that, do you think, weighing in on his decisions? I, I guess I, that's, a, that's a great question, Chris. I, and I'm not sure how to answer All that. Right. But, you know, I, we're told one thing when we go and talk to our legislators, and then they go behind a closed door and make a different decision sometimes. And what do you mean specifically? Well, I, I think that the president, we, we talked to the president uh, in person about the, uh, the waivers of the small refiners, and he said we're going to stand by the farmers. And now at the end of the day, uh, Administrator Wheeler of the EPA did what probably his boss told him to do and granted these waivers. Will you still vote for President Trump in 2020? Uh, that's, a, that's a private question. Okay. Are, we, are you getting that feeling, though, from your guys that, hey, we still support the president or no? I, I think... I think the, the part that you're asking me is probably more about the China issue, and we're working with the tariffs in China. You know, we want to send, China wants to go to E10 in their fuel supply to clean up their air. We would be in the, in the short term sending them ethanol to do that, to, you know, to blend in their fuel supply. And then when they start making or uh, building their ethanol plants, then we would ship them corn. So it would be a great market for us too, and the tariffs are really hurting. Does this, um waiver situation give Nancy Pelosi more political leverage to not bring the USMCA to the floor to cause more pain in the heartland to potentially move some people from Trump supporters to other supporters? I, yeah, I, that, knows, that, right? that's I mean, a great question too, but we need to get USMCA passed. That's my also. point. And I don't know where you get the leverage on Nancy to do it. That, that's what I'm trying right. to figure out. So, Well, the, the White House has to get the rules written and sent over to the House, and then we have to try and talk them into bringing that up for a vote because there's 
we believe there's enough votes in both the House and the Senate to get that passed. Thank you for the time and insight. We appreciate it.